you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For... Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Amen. Amen. City on a Hill, Geelong, so good uh, to be with you. As we said, I'm Ben. I'm working in Melbourne this year uh, with our city youth and city uni groups and hoping, praying, planning to plant a church in Ballarat over the next couple of years. So excited to be here with you, opening God's Word with you. Grateful to Andrew for the invitation to be here to to do that this morning. Uh, Why don't we pray together and ask God for His help as we do it. We're going to need it this morning. Gracious God, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. We thank you that you care for us, Lord. We care, you care for us as your people. You care about our relationships in this world, Lord. Lord, thank you for the words that you have spoken for us through 1 Peter 3. And we pray that as we wrestle with it together this morning, Lord, that your spirit would be poured out upon us and we would understand it and appreciate it and trust it as good for us and learn to live under it. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, in January this year, uh, Stuja and I and the kids, we went for a, a camping holiday. Any campers in the building this morning? Maybe they're all away. We've got some. That's good. Maybe the rest are away camping. Well, we uh, went down to the Great Otway National Park. How blessed are you that this is on your doorstep, just a, a beautiful part of the world? And so we hitched our relatively new camper trailer to the car. This was a, a COVID camper trailer, right? So we hadn't got much practice with it. I had not got much experience 
driving it. And so we're setting off. I'm a little nervous, but we get through Melbourne and we get round Geelong and things are going swimmingly. I'm, I'm wondering, what, what was I worried about? There's no big deal in this. And then at some point, the covered roads stopped and we turned off onto a rough gravel track, one of those kind of corrugated gravel tracks through the National Park. And that's where things started to get a little hairy. Uh, we're going 30 k an hour, and still I'm sweating, right? The road is pitching and rolling. We're going down these sort of sweeping bands, and the, the caravan's bumping up behind us. We're bumping in the car, and it's sliding as we go around these bands. So Jen and I are, are, are calculating if we did slip over the edge, how long would it take those big old gum trees to break our fall? That's what's going through my head. Why did we do this? We're asking ourselves. Why didn't we just go big four? It would have been so much simpler to go big four. But then all of a sudden, the, the trees clear, and there before us is this perfect little oasis in the forest. The sun is beating down on the campground. There are koalas in the trees. There are kangaroos grazing, the perfect Aussie scene. And then we set up camp, and it's 10 minutes down this road until we see the, the ocean open up before us, the glassy sea as we sung. At the, the afternoon sun bouncing off it. It just take your breath away, beautiful. But you guys probably know this. You probably go down there for a surf before work every morning. You know how beautiful it is. Now, why am I telling you a, a camping story when I told Suja, my wife, that this is how I was going to open? She was nervous. There was fear in her eyes. She thought I was going to confess some of the stresses that, that camping puts on our marriage. You know what it's like. You go for a long drive. You're setting up a, a tent in the heat. Nothing tests the foundations of a marriage like camping. But no, that is not it. It's not why I'm telling you it. It's because that is a story of hard work. It was a difficult road to go down. It was bumpy. We were questioning whether we were on the right track as we went down it. But you know, by the end, it was beautiful. It was worth all that hard work. And, and we know, don't we, in life, that, that some things that are precious and beautiful take hard work. You ask a, a gold miner or a diamond miner, they're going to say the same thing. And we know it in our relationships, don't we? Some of the, the precious joy that we have in relationships comes with, with some bumps along the way. Relationships can be hard. And, and reading the Bible as Christians can sometimes be hard work, can't it? It can sometimes be difficult. And making sense of it for our lives can be hard work. But we trust that, that God is good, and His Word for us is good. And when we sit with Him, we wrestle with it, and He pours out His Spirit upon us to, to understand it, uh, there is beauty at the end, and we will find precious beauty today in one of those difficult passages. We're in 1 Peter 3. Uh, we've got these seven verses at the start on marriage, and, and they might be offensive as we read it. They might be difficult to understand. They might be hard to appreciate at, at first reading, but my prayer is that we will find precious, lasting beauty and relevance here in this truth for us this morning. Uh, but before we do, before we get stuck into these verses, I want to put down a, a big anchor. I know I'm mixing metaphors. We're going from camping to sailing. Go with me, please. I want to put down an anchor that's going to hold us steady. So if we do sort of start to, to rock and the water does get a little choppy this morning, we've got this big anchor. Here it is. There is an essential equality between men and women in the Bible. 
essential equality. We have the same origin story. Male and female were made in the image of God, Genesis 1. Uh, We share the same access to salvation in Jesus. Galatians 3.28, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Same origin, same access to salvation, and same destiny. We see that here in our reading, verse 7. We are co-heirs in the grace of life, male and female. We will share the same eternity together. There is an essential equality between men and women in the Bible. We, we need to know that, but there are passages like this one that outline some distinctions, differences in the way that we live out our gender. We're going to call them complementary differences in the way that we exercise our roles and, and responsibilities as men and women in certain contexts in our lives. So, essential equality, but lived out differently in some contexts. That's the, the big anchor that I want to hold on to today, uh, even as we go down this this bumpy road. And look, if you're new at City on a Hill or you're joining us online, you're so welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you're here with us for the first time, you might be wondering what century you've walked into. Don't worry. Uh, We are in the Bible today, but it's a good day to be here. It's going to be important for you to know this about City on a Hill, that that we take God's Word seriously, don't we? we? We do want to live under it. We want it to be the thing that shapes the direction of our lives, more than any other influence on our lives, more than the culture we live in, more than the the family of origin that we come from, more than the the peers and friends we have around us. We want God's Word to be the thing that that shapes and directs our lives. So, that is a much longer introduction than we normally do, but it's important that we do it so that we kind of set the scene for where we're going in 1 Peter 3. And we're going to tackle this in three parts. You guys know that all the best sermons come to you in threes, right? Uh, So we've got a word for wives first, then we've got a a word for husbands, and then a little bit at the end just to make it a a three-point sermon. We're going to have a word for all of us. And I promise that there will be beauty and truth and relevance here for us. So, you still with me? Uh, If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it. It'd be great for you to be with me in the passage so you can see that I'm not making this up and you can see where we're going in 1 Peter chapter 3. Have a look with me at verse 1 if your Bible's open. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Uh, Likewise, there might be confusing. It's probably best translated as and or also. It's not saying Uh, that wives submit themselves to husbands in the same way that slaves do to masters, like we saw last week. No, this goes back up to the start of this section, chapter 2, verse 13, when Peter says, be subject, all of us, be subject for the Lord's sake. There it was to authority. So a a wife's being subject to her husband, that that flows from, from there, from her relationship with God. It's an act of obedience and trust to God first and foremost. And that is kind of Christianity 101, isn't it? That we give up ourselves, we give up our rights and preferences and likes and submit ourselves under God. We live with His likes and preferences and priorities for our lives. So, wives, be subject to your own husbands. It's important that we don't skip past that. The context here for these instructions is 
marriage. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about marriage today. Submit yourself, so be subject to your own husbands. So, so this is not a call for all women to, to be subject to all men. If we read 1 Peter 3 like that, we're, we're not reading it correctly, right? This is not Peter saying that, that a woman can't be in a, a senior position over a man in the workplace, in the office, or, or in the hospital, or in school, or in politics. That is to push Peter beyond where he goes in this passage. We're only talking about marriage. So, what does it look like for a wife to be subject to her husband? That is your question. I'm glad you asked it. And we're going to color this in as we go. But just to get us started, Australian author Claire Smith has written a great book on this. I can't commend her work enough uh, to you. She says it's easier to define what submission is not more than what it is. But here's our, our working definition to get started. With 1 Peter 3 in mind, she says that submission, being subject, has to do with obedience, respect, and doing right. And what I love about this whole section, actually, in Peter is he doesn't just kind of dump the command on us, but he gives us reasons why we can live this way, why it's good for us. Why would wives be subject to their husbands? And, and he gives us reasons. Firstly, so that by their conduct, they might win their husbands to salvation. It's clear, isn't it, that Peter's writing to a, a lot of women who are married to people who are not yet Christians. Their husbands are not believers. Perhaps they have become a Christian. This is a first generation of the church. They've become a Christian, but their husbands have not yet. And so Peter deploys these wives in the most important mission work they can have, the saving of their husbands. And how encouraging is that, that, that if you're in a marriage and your husband or your wife is not yet a Christian, that, that you can have this impact on them, that God can use you to keep pointing them to Jesus. And not just with words. Peter is a big fan of words. We're going to see that next week. He's not saying don't ever speak the gospel, but he's saying that by your conduct, the way you live can command Christ to your partner. There is a time, isn't there, when, when words lose their edge, right? When, when your husband has heard the gospel a thousand times, and when you bring it up again, his eyes glaze over and his ears kind of shut down. But even then, we can point them to Jesus in the way that we live. How encouraging is that? How encouraging is it for all of us in any of our relationships with people who are not yet Christians? We can command Christ. You can imagine this, this husband's down the pub with his mates, right? And he's telling them that his wife has found religion, right? She's got these crazy ideas about Jesus. But man, you know what? She's loving me so well at the minute. She's really looking out for me. We've stopped fighting. Our marriage has actually never been better. This guy can't understand it, but we can. That is the aroma of Christ that he is smelling. That is the gospel lived out in his home. And the, the hope, the prayer is that he will come to faith like his wife. So if you are in that relationship or you've got people around you in that relationship, I want you to be encouraged and I would love you to encourage them. Keep going. It doesn't matter if it takes a week or a lifetime. God can use our testimony to point our partners to Jesus. Wives, be encouraged. That is one reason 
why submission is beautiful. I'm going to use these words, submission and, and being subject, kind of interchangeably. The Bible does that. They mean basically the same thing. The second reason why it can be possible is because it's beautiful. So let me ask you a question. When I, when I use the word beauty, what is it that pops into your head? Uh, we've got lots of people on social media kind of pushing beauty, these influencers who want to shape our lives. So it might be clothes, it might be nice hair, it might be perfect facial symmetry, it might be expensive jewelry. What is it that, that comes into your head when I use the word beauty? These things are all fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with them. But they are external, aren't they? And we know that, that external beauty fades. It, it demands more and more of us as we get older. It demands more work in the gym. It demands more money. It demands more cosmetics. It demands less on our plate. It is hard work to maintain this kind of external beauty. And anyway, it can't last forever. But there is a beauty that can. There is an internal godly character. Did you see it? This is a beauty that will last forever. Have a look with me if your Bible's open at verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight, God's sight is very precious. What kind of beauty does God love? It is the internal beauty. Remember, He looks at the heart. When He, he chose King David with Samuel, it's the heart that He sees. He's looking at the inside when we are consumed by the outside. And He loves to see in wives this internal godly character. There's a, there's a quiet spirit that is not a, a spiteful fighter in that marriage. There's a, a gentleness. There is a Christ-like humility to this. No wonder God finds it beautiful. So when it comes to this kind of beauty, wives, I know that there are lots of influencers wanting us to take their direction when it comes to beauty, but do we have any people who are influencing our internal beauty, I wonder? My grandmother, she's passed away now, but she is a, a, bit, of, a bit of a hero of mine for lots of reasons. As she died a few years ago, but I look at her as a picture of this beauty. She was a godly woman. She had a, a humility, a beautiful humility. She had this prayerful dependence on God. She was a, a willing learner right up into her 90s before she died. She'd still be devouring Scripture, sending us, me and my siblings, letters, handwritten letters about what she was learning about God. It was beautiful. Uh, and she loved her husband, my grandfather. She thought the world of him. She never spoke ill of him publicly. She celebrated him. She was beautiful. And I'm not saying that because I remember her for how she looked or, or what she wore. No, her beauty was internal. Just a godliness that is so compelling. And I, I wonder if you have an influencer in your life like my grandmother. Chances are it's not my grandmother. But I wonder if you do have one. That maybe it's an older woman or, or wife in your family. Maybe it's an older woman or wife here at church. And you can see something about their life that is just compellingly beautiful in the way that they live, in the way that their marriage plays out. If you don't have someone like that in your life, can I encourage you to find someone? Find someone here in this community. There has got to be wives that we can look up to, 
who can influence us in this way, pursuing this kind of internal beauty. I give you permission to go after that person. Invite them for dinner. Have a, a coffee with them here after the service. Invite them into your life. Ask them questions. Have them share their wisdom. Share your struggles with them. It is so precious when we find people like this in our lives, when, when wives find models like this to admire and to aspire to. We need them. Peter knows we do. That's why he points us to Sarah in verses 5 and 6. Sarah is one of those holy women who hoped in God. She is the, the wife of Abraham way back in Genesis at the start of the Bible, and she is here a, a flawed character just like any man in the Old Testament, any man in the Bible except Jesus. She is flawed, but, but she is held up as a model of faith. In Hebrews 11, that great passage of these faith models, and part of her faith here is submitting to her husband. That's why Peter points to her. In fact, have a look at verse 6. She obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Uh, she called him Lord in Genesis 18, 12, that's when she's doubting in God's promises. She's late in life. She's doubting that God can keep His promise of, of giving her a child. But Abraham is not. Abraham's confidence is on the up. His trust in God is increasing at this moment in their lives. And so, she submits herself to Him. She trusts Him in an act of obedience and faith in God. And she is here as a model of faith and obedience in the way she submitted to her husband. She is a model for wives for all future generations. So, what does it mean then for a wife to be subject to her husband? Well, it is, we've seen this, this act of trust and faith in God first. It's all, our allegiance is always to God. If there's ever a, a challenge between uh, submitting to, to God and submitting to husband, if, if submitting to husband means we step outside of godliness into sin, no, we, we go with God. But it's submission to husbands for wives. It's, it's not uh, without thought. It's not leaving uh, our brain at the altar when we get married. No, it's something a, a wife gives, isn't it? It's thoughtful. It's, it's willing. It's intelligent. It's a, an attitude that says, I love when you take initiative for our family. I love when you take responsibility for things and you lead with love. That's when I flourish. I don't flourish when you leave that to me. It's not powerlessness, is it? No submission is influential because Peter, uh, Peter says that wives can have this role in winning their husbands to the Lord. Now, that seems impossible, right? That submission and power or influence can go together, but, but then we see Jesus doing it. He does it in 1 Corinthians 15. He submits Himself to the Father, and He changes the very world that we live in. Somehow in God's economy, He can use submission and influence together. This is hard, I think. It is a difficult passage to hear and to live out. But remember our big anchor today, that there is essential equality between male and female, lived out in, in these different complementary ways in the context of marriage. So, wives future wives, current wives, there is real beauty in a life lived this way, and it is a beauty that God cherishes. Still with me? 
All right, that is the, the word for wives. Uh, what about the word for husbands? What does Peter want husbands to hear? Earlier this week, my wife and I stood here. We had a, a minor disagreement about the dishes. It's always the dishes in our house. It's ridiculous. Uh, but afterwards, I had to apologize to Suja and repent, because in that minor disagreement, I used language and even a posture that is not becoming of a Christian husband. It, it's not my place uh, to pull this card out and to have my will done at home, is it? it, it as Peter says to us here, it, it's not my job as a husband to keep my wife accountable for her submission. That's not the deal. She willingly gives it. It's not my job to point out when submission is evading her. That's too far beyond where the passage lets us go. So we must be careful not to go beyond where the Bible says we can, and and that's what we're going to think about in verse 7, what it can mean for a husband and what it can't mean. So check it out with me in verse 7. Likewise, remember that is and or also, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There is beauty in the the word for wives. Here there is balance in the word for husbands. So if you are a husband, and I am, we are to live with our wives in an understanding way. That is, we are eager to listen to her and, and even learn from her and to be gentle with her. And and we make time for those things. Uh, Our wives are not people we just talk at. They're not just receivers of information or doers of our bidding. No, to live in an understanding way is is mutual, isn't it? There is an understanding, a conversation happening. There's give and take. There's back and forth, listening and appreciating the other person, isn't there? In Peter's context, this was radical. Aristotle, you might have heard of Aristotle. He was one of the great Greek thinkers who shaped a lot of the attitudes of this Greco-Roman world that Peter's writing into. His take on the relationship of husband and wife was it that it was the same as ruler and subject. That is not the vision Peter has for marriage. No, husbands, we are called to honor our wives as, trigger warning, the weaker vessel. Now, what on earth can that mean? Well, it can't be any kind of inequality, right? We've seen men and women. There's no inferiority, superiority intellectually or morally. It is not that. No, Peter is most likely talking about our physical bodies because generally speaking, men tend to be bigger and stronger than women. You guys know this, right? Geelong is a proud sporting city. We see this all the time. We've got the AFL and the AFLW. We've got the Olympics that are mostly split into events for men and women. The the Winter Olympics the same. It's because separate male and female competitions are are safer and fairer. I think that's what Peter's getting at here. Uh, So what can it mean in marriage? Well, husbands show honor to their wives as the weaker vessel. That is that we protect husbands. I don't nudge Suja in the middle of the night to go and check out the bumps that we can hear downstairs. No, that is my job. But it's more than that, isn't it? We take a lead, husbands, in creating a, a safe environment for our wives to be subject to us. And we, we value her opinion. We listen well to her. We give ourselves up for her like Jesus does. Paul writes a, a parallel passage in Ephesians 5 and, and fills this out even more 
for husbands. It's sacrifice. It's giving up what I want for her sake. And this is going to get worked out in a hundred little ways every day. Like, like submission, it's, honor is more a, an attitude than an action that, that shapes how we live, it, but it means that we'll, we'll give up time for our wives, we'll, we'll let them into our personal space, we'll give them our energy, not the dregs of our day after a, a long day at work, and then we go to the gym, and then we do some more work, and then we'll spend time with our wives. No, it's quality time. We delight and enjoy what our wives enjoy. We, we think carefully about how we can show our love to our wives. Maybe it's uh, quality time together. Maybe it's gifts. Maybe it's spontaneity. Maybe it's as simple as a cup of tea after a long day and, and a conversation. It will be leading her to Jesus, praying together, reading together, reflecting on a, a sermon together, praising God in song together. It is a great responsibility, men, that we have that we can give our wives time to get to a gospel community if we're not going to one together. We can give her time to go and spend time with her friends so she can be on mission for Jesus. It's not guarding all of that time for ourselves. There are a hundred little ways that, man, we can honor our wives. But I wonder what is one habit, what is one thing you could start even today? What's one way you can show honor to your wife if you are married today? And let that be a start of a, a fruitful and flourishing relationship of understanding and honor and just deep love. Now, on the flip side, we have to say loud and clear what this can't mean. It can't be, in any possible world, honoring our wives to be domineering over her, lording it over her physically, or sexually? In what possible world is physical domination honoring our wives? We've seen these great advancements in our society in the equality between men and women, but still, sexism is rife, isn't it? Male violence towards women is rife. There is no justification here in 1 Peter for that. Christians, Christian husbands, Christian men, there cannot even be a whiff of sexism in our relationship with women. To speak down to a woman, to speak aggressively, to speak mockingly, never mind to lift a hand in violence. In what possible world is that honoring wives or women in general? And, and while we're here, it cannot possibly be sexual domination either. There is a giving of our bodies between spouses in marriage for sex, yes, but that is always given. It's never taken. It's never demanded. That goes far beyond where the Scriptures let us go. There's a warning here for husbands. I wonder if you saw it at the end of verse 7. Let me read it for us. Peter says, your prayers may be hindered. And then he fills it out in verse 12. Let me read it. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's not just our relationship with our spouse that's at stake, our relationship with God is at stake. He will turn His face against anyone who is doing evil. So husbands, if you recognize yourself and anything that I've said, here I'm, I'm calling you to stop and to repent 
and to confess that sin to one of the pastors here, you need help. And wives, if you're in that kind of abusive relationship, it is a good thing for you to leave to safety. I'm not saying that the marriage is over, but if you're worried for your safety or children's safety, it is a good thing to find refuge somewhere else. Seek help here with someone you trust. There is no place for violence or aggression in a Christian marriage. All right. Well, we've seen the the beauty and the balance, these words for wives and husbands. Uh, But like that little campsite on our bumpy road in the summer, uh, we're working through this. There's beauty at the end of this for all of us. We get a final word for all of us, whether we're married or not. And it is a word of blessing. Let me read verse 9 to finish off. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. This is a great summary of these last three weeks in 1 Peter. Be like Jesus, who did not revile when he was reviled. He didn't repay evil with evil. No, bless people. That's our calling, and we will obtain a blessing. And the blessing, here it is in in verse 10, it's life and good days. It's the eyes of the Lord on us and His ears open to our prayers in verse 12. And that is beautiful because the blessing of shaping our relationships this way, the way God calls us to, the blessing of living that way is the blessing of a relationship with God. How beautiful is that? There is intimacy here that we are all invited into, and there's nothing, nothing that any of us could have done that bars us from this blessing. Look, I find these verses so challenging this week. For myself, personally, living in a way that, that honors my wife and, and, and shows her understanding, I am a, a selfish person. Sometimes I, I look at my life and think, gee, I'm nothing like the person God calls me to be. Do you ever feel like that? And marriage can magnify that like nothing else, can't it? But that's why there's such good news here in 1 Peter. We are, we are sojourners, aren't we? We're people on the road. We're on the way to our forever home. We're not there yet. And we are not the finished article. We are being made new. God has poured His Spirit into our lives and, and given us His Word, directing us, but, but enabling us to live that way. And this is a life's work, isn't it? We will spend our lifetimes living this out. Well, what a blessing that we are invited into this relationship, broken, sinful people being made new day after day. God's at work in us. And we are hopeful, we are certain that on the day of visitation, the day when God comes, He will be glorified by you and I. What good news is that? What good is the gospel? Is good for us. It's hard. This can be hard, a hard life that we're called to live. But it's beautiful, isn't it? And man, does it honor God. Amen? Amen. Why don't we pray? And then we're going to share communion together as the band comes up. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your abundant generosity to us. Lord, these are challenging words for us to live out 
But Lord, we thank you that there is real beauty here. This is precious in your sight, Lord, living this way as wives and husbands and all of us. Living this Christ-like shape to our lives is, is a blessing for us and brings glory to you. But gosh, Lord, we need your help to live it. So we pray, Lord, that you would enable each one of us to take your word and live under it this week. For your precious, glorious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.